Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Two Wizards and a Mic. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about how to be a great DM. And, and I'm laughing because we had already started this episode, and then technology happened. We're starting again. I certainly hope that uh, you can all stick around, because <laughs> I'm losing my mind. Um, but, before, uh, but before we talk about DM stuff, uh, Andrew, uh, please tell us all again about the latest things going on. Sure. So um, the latest with the Kickstarter for Monsters of Feyland 2 for the backers is that uh, the books, some of the books are on their way already. And most of the people in North America should get those. Uh, now it's going to be next month because February's ending shortly here. People overseas and some of the larger packages, those will probably arrive um, late March, early April. And then we're preparing for the next Kickstarter, uh, which we're going to launch at some point next month. And um, yeah, so today Shane and I are going to talk about how to be a great DM. Um, I was mentioning a, a, a great DM that I that I've seen him, him run games is actually Chris Lindsay, who works at Wizards of the Coast. And I'd say the number one reason he has a lot of skills that many dungeon masters have. Like, but the main thing he does, I think, which is so great, is he listens to his players. And he he doesn't make the game about himself. He makes the game about the players. And so I would say that is the number one key. Because if you actually listen to the players, they will let you know what they're enjoying. They will let you know what parts, of, specific parts of the game they like. You know, if somebody likes the exploration part, exploration part of the game, if they really love combat, it becomes very obvious. Um, and you will know when people are paying attention. And um, you will hear the kind of parts of the game that the that these players want to take part in. You know, and I think that is that's the number one number one part of being a good dungeon master. I mean, uh, yes. I mean, that's the probably. I would say the most exciting part of, uh, as a player, um, is that you when you feel like you are being listened to, when you're feeling like ideas that come to your mind, uh, like you and I have talked about this before with backstory stuff, with uh, potential, like something pops up in the game and a player goes, oh, hey, you know, it'd be cool if, and even, even though if that stuff isn't implemented, uh, you still can, you know, it's that whole collaboration thing. And I've whinged about this before. Uh, years ago, playing in a, a game where it was all about the DM and the characters had no idea what was going on. The players had no idea what was going on. And it just went on and on and on of not knowing what was going on. And that group fell apart because the, I mean, uh, several of us had suggested, because uh, I think my character died like the, for the fifth time. And I put a little thing on a sticky note and said, can my next character know or somehow be involved with what's behind this outbreak situation. And he just did this, shook his head at me. And I'm like, all right. And I never went back. I'm like, I'm out. Uh, your story is boring. Uh, we don't, I, I don't care. Like, I don't know why am I here now? So yeah, being listened to is, is huge, is huge. What's the next point? Number two is experience. So these days, there's been sort of an anti-experience, anti-practice movement that, oh, this is not so important anymore. Um, 
and I saw it a lot as a teacher when this whole anti-homework uh, movement move, started to rise its, you know, its head. <laughs> and I think part of the reason is because some teachers overdo it. But the idea that practicing something over and over and working on something over and over is not a good way to learn. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, sure. Of course it is. <laughs> so just like anything else, um, a good dungeon master, you'll get better and better with experience. And um, you will you will learn all you will learn so many things. You'll learn how to manage your time. You will learn how to listen. You can always, I think you can always listen better, as we we were just talking about. You will learn. Yeah, a lot of it is learning how much time you have to do things and how you can be flexible, um, which we'll talk, you know, a little bit more about further on in this list. But it's um, experience really does help. So the more you can do it, it's going to be, you know, beneficial to yourself and to your group. And, you know, the more adventures you read, the more maps you look at the more you know the more scenarios you create create yourself um the more npcs you create you know it just it's it's huge and um these days too there's kind of a move to for dms not to prep so much and i think again that comes from people overdoing it and um but you still prep still helps and the good DMs who can do it without prepping are usually going to be the very experienced ones. And so they have had, they've done it so many times. They have know how much time they have. They know, you know, what would be a good balanced encounter. They know how to be flexible. If the party makes a decision that maybe a new dungeon master would be surprised at. And um, so I think experience is invaluable and the more practice you get, the better you're going to do. Well, especially like one of the most important skills I think for DMs is not just a practicing, but I think another type of practice for that is to actually uh, write your own adventures and where you can actually learn that whole structure of introduction encounters in you know, sort of in the first half uh, and then how to actually get to a, get to a, a satisfying conclusion because there's going to be uh, some adventures that the reward is going to be very different from the adventure you did last week. And being able to make those kinds of... To make it so the players really understand we're here for fun and the reward is going to... Uh, I mean, I'm going to pick on uh, that film that doesn't exist. The, there was, I think there was a fourth Indiana Jones film where the reward was knowledge. Um which can actually be as exciting, but don't take take lessons from that film. You take lessons from, you know, being able to construct that kind of stuff so that as the players are learning about the adventure, as, as their characters are getting more and more familiar with what's going on, um, anything can be a rewarding experience where, uh, I don't know, say, for example, you're helping a, a village not to be burned down by a dragon and, uh, you know, you defeat the dragon and you turn around, you're like, hey, that we defeated the dragon. And then suddenly they're like, we have no money. Uh, you know, that should be as satisfying as, you know, wandering into a, a dragon horde in the mountains somewhere. Um, so, yeah, but being able to actually 
create those scenarios, I think for me anyway, has been invaluable uh, because I've written some years and years ago that I've dug out in the last six months to kind of go, were these great? And reading them again going, no, these are terrible. But at least I have that experience of having written something bad that I can actually, you know, create something better. Um, because that way you'll also be able to take things that, you know, Wizards of the Coast books and being able to delve into those adventures and being able to modify them, I think is actually kind of cool. Which, again, I'm going to pick on you. You do very well. Uh, there have been, uh, you know, times where uh, I can, I'll recognize, you know, because if we've used a module, I'll go, oh, yeah, I remember this from 25 years ago. Oh, yeah, there isn't, if I turn left, you know, but you know that. So you're like, there is no left. Yeah. <laughs> there is only right. And uh, so it's like, ah, well, I shouldn't be doing that anyway. I should be enjoying what's going on. But uh, but yeah, it uh, that kind of experience, just you build up over time in different ways. And I think that all of it really makes a, uh, for a really decent adventure with a great deal. But um, yeah, that, number three. Well, that's a good point you make, a really good point, because I spent a lot of my time in the 70s and 80s reading those modules, those adventures, over and over. And um, it's not just the core rule books, the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Player's Handbook and the Monster Manuals or our monster books, but also the adventures, like you say, it can actually teach you a lot reading them over and over and learning how other people have constructed encounters and adventures. And that really goes with number three, which I would say is know the rules. So yeah. it's a game, you're having fun. You still need to know the rules, just like in any game. You don't have to know every single rule, but you should know the basic rules. You should know most about your monsters, most of the things you can find out. Um, this idea, again, that the rules are just a guideline, that's partly true, but in reality, it's not really true. Um, you're playing a game with other people. So if they want to know what the rules are and the boundaries of the game and how it runs, you have oh. to have something in common. And what's in common are the rules of the game. So for the most part, I think most games for, for D&D, most of the rules are used. There are some groups who have lots of house rules, and that's fine. But I think most games, um, you know, the core rules are followed for the most part. And that that really helps keep the game together. And that's how the game is designed. So you want to know most of them. You don't have to know every single rule. If there's something that comes up in the game, I don't know every single rule. Um, and I've been reading the books for 30 years and playing for that long or longer. And um, yeah, longer. Yeah, that's so, what I was going to say. Yeah, more like 40 years. Yeah, maybe even longer than, longer than 40. Yeah, longer than 40. Um, I still don't know every rule, and that's fine. What you do is you just make a decision on the fly, and you can check it later and then change it if you want in the future once you learn the actual rule. That's fine. But you should know the basic rules. Um, you need... You still need to be the lead storyteller. There is, again, a more uh, new take about how everybody, it's a very, very collaborative process. I think that, again, that works to a degree. So yes, you're yeah. working, you're playing with these other players, um, but you, are still, you still have the responsibility to be the lead storyteller. You're still the one who has the plot and 
yes, you can give some more ownership over to the players, but I think too much of that, then you end up changing the game drastically. For example, I know some people who say, oh, well, you can let the players help create the world. Well, sure, but then that's not going to be a surprise to them. And, you know, now you're going to have to work with some other person's content. So I think there's there's a limit to that, in my, in my opinion. Um, and you're also the referee. There is only going to be one referee, and that's how the game works. The game is not... Yeah to sit and argue. And I still, it still happens. Like um, recently I was DMing a game, not with Shane's group. And um, one person kind of wondered why I did something in the game. Well, like they don't know what all the monsters are doing. They don't know what all the NPCs are doing. They don't know what magic they have access to or magic items. So to think that you know exactly what's going on as a player, you don't. So I just kind of, I just keep going with it. And then another player kind of like wondered what, what that was. And I just kept going with the story because <laughs> the game is not, the game is not there to sit around and debate rules. That's, that, that's not a lot of fun. No. If there's no. something that really bothers you and you're like, hold on, that doesn't make sense. Then sure. If it really, you know, if there's something you really need to sort out, of course you need to sort it out. Um, but I think, you know, you have to know the basic rules. Obviously, it helps to know the rule books as well as you can. And um, like I said, if you don't know a rule, my practice is just to go with it and usually to benefit the player. And then I will check it later and then I might adjust it for the future. Um, in our last game with this other group, one of the players used a spell that I was pretty sure they couldn't use on themselves they healed themselves and the rest of the party and i double checked quickly and no the player actually couldn't heal themselves but in the story the flow of it it made sense to just let it go and then i told the player later the next day you know if you use that spell next time it doesn't cover you and he'd actually done the same thing he checked and gone oh wait i couldn't have done that but the whole point of it is to be having fun and you know to me, that's more important than than a specific rule um, slowing down the story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as as you always say, there's only one DM at the table. And uh, although I don't recall since I joined, you know, five, six years ago now, God, it's mm -hmm. been that long. Um, there's really ever been a debate at the table about rules. Just there's always been like sort of, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh wait a second! No, I can't do that. You know, the players you know seem to like understand, uh, you know, mostly what's going on. Even if they don't, you're like, not all right. We'll let that one slide. But yeah, you know. we have we have had we have had a few short discussions. But again, for me, the most important thing is having the story flow and run, and not get caught up in that. So, like I say, I usually just rule in favor of the player, um, and then check it later. Yeah, exactly. Now, this actually leads into, because we we're talking briefly about uh, house rules. Uh, point number four is have group rules and follow them. Mm -hmm. um, those I always love uh, because it's, it's, it's that, again, it's that collaborative sort of 
there are people at the table and they're all operating human beings that have a brain and can actually speak mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, what their opinion is of whatever. So how do you deal with uh, your group rules uh, when uh, when you need to? Sure. So first, I would make a distinction between house rules and your group rules. So house rules, I would say, are things like, you know, homebrew rules you have for the game itself. And for our game, usually the only uh, homebrew house rule we have is about critical hits and critical misses. We have extra effects for those so that they mean something. Um, those are what I would call house rules. Group rules, I would say, are about the players at the table and your group, your gaming group. And I think they can be very simple. I think that it's not necessary to have an entire session zero to have, you know, an hour or two hours sit around talking about that. I think that's unnecessary. I think you can really quickly in a few minutes decide what kind of game you're going to have and what, you know, basically you know what is going to be the flavor of this campaign that kind of thing and those you can do in person very quickly have a discussion or you can actually just do it online that's what we usually do and you can have a list of things you can have people put have input and our group rules basically are for the most part you know respectful play that's pretty much it i mean we don't we don't go over the top with gory details. We don't go over the top with romance. Um, our rules are pretty straightforward, and that's pretty—it's pretty much being respectful. And I think that this idea that you can have group rules that will cover everything that will ever happen is just not realistic. <laughs> and that human beings, if things come up, you know, you talk it out. Or if somebody doesn't want to deal with it right in the moment, they can talk after the game. And um, that's just part of being human. And you can work things out and talk things out. And and uh, if there's a real big issue at the table, you can say, like, wait, you need to stop. Like, And that's totally fine. Uh, with the way that our group says it is that we have, you know, we have a respectful play and that's for the most part our group rules. But I think if you need to be more detailed, that's fine. And I need I think you also need to make sure that they're followed too. Yeah, exactly. And it's Being... not it doesn't have to be sorry, there's not doesn't have to be drama about it. If somebody no. is not respectful, they obviously don't want to be part of that game and and those rules, they're out. It's not, it's not, there's no drama. It's just a game. You know, the that gaming group doesn't work. You move to a different group. You find a different, a different group. It's not, there's no need for, I've heard a lot of drama, uh, you know, stories about things that have come up in gaming groups and groups in general. Groups are dynamic. They're, it's like a living entity. You have to nurture it and look after it. And so I think that you might have to revisit group, group rules sometimes. You might have to check in with people. Um, it's not something you can just let put on the side if you want your group to work. That's a very good point because it's uh, it's sad to me when I go to a variety of locations. Like I've 
you, know, you go to the doctor, you go to the store, you go to something, and there's a sign on the wall saying, you here are the rules about interacting with our staff. And it's like, what happened to the universe where you have to see signs at the post office of not to yell at the postal people? I'm like, it just, that kills me. It's like, why, mm -hmm. why would anyone? It's the post office. Like, your package is not here. Oh, crap. Where is it? Uh, well, we don't know where we do know. Here's the information. Great. I'll see you next time when it comes in. Great. You know, like, what else do you need to do? Mm -hmm. uh, it's so odd. Um, but point number five is uh, being prepared. Um, you are the king of being prepared. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I think part of the reason that I put a focus on it is because I learned really young that I was a very right-brained creative person and I'm nice. not very detailed and left brain, but I grew up around all these business people. I went to very structured, you know, all boys schools for my, when I was really young and um, it taught, you know, I, I just learned to organize this creative, <laughs> creative person a little bit, um, more than maybe some creatives have learned. Um, yeah, so I kind of got some benefit from from that, from those kind of strict schools and um, sort of business mentality, maybe, which I wasn't I wasn't fond of any of those things. <laughs> but they definitely taught me to be organized. Um, and you know, part of it, again, if you want to have fun at the table, it really helps that the DM is organized and it's not very complicated. Um, again, we talked briefly before, there's this idea and people boasting about how, oh, I ran this game without any prep. I just improved everything. And there are some very talented people who can, who can do amazing things like that. But most DMs need to prep, even experienced DMs need to prep. I probably prep an hour or two for every game, which our games are about three or four hours. And I think that it, you know, it, it's necessary. I mean, yes, I could improv a game, no problem. Um, and I've done that a few times and there are times in the game where it helps, where you can do that. I've, there are times where I've planned out a whole session for four hours and maybe half an hour of that session is now from what I've prepped. <laughs> But most of the time, I'd say about 80% of the game is from what I've prepped. And, you know, you want to have your notes on your adventure and on your plot, your NPCs. You want to know the motivation of your NPCs and your monsters. You want to know what your monsters can do. Um, you want to have, you know, you want to recall who the players are, what their characters are. Not the players so much, but the characters. <laughs> um because some of them have really intricate backstories that can really link into the game quite a bit, which is a lot of fun. And that can really help empower the player. Um, you want to make sure you know your locations. You want to make sure you have the maps you need and all the books you need. <clears throat> you don't have to know every single spell, but you should have, you know, a book close enough so you can look it up. You should know, as we said, the basic rules. Um, and it doesn't have to be tons of prep. Like you can do decent prep in about half an hour to an hour, I would say. And, um, 
most DMs, even experienced DMs, um, prep and being prepared. You know, it's also being respectful to the people who are coming to have the game. Um, so I think it's a pretty, pretty simple part of being a dungeon master. And it also, I mean, as you said, like experienced DMs uh, can, you know, do a lot of improv and that kind of stuff. But I, I've done improv theater for a long time and it can only carry you so far. Like it can help you react. It can help you be, uh, you know, to be able to make something up. Oh, uh, yeah, the bridge is uh, there still. Yes, because of this reason. Um, you know, just little things like that. But ultimately, to carry like a four-hour game, forget it. It's just not going to happen um, because you're going to go off talking. And all your characters are suddenly landing in never in Neverland, and you're not sure why they got there, how they got there. It has nothing to do with the adventure you had in mind. So yeah, I mean that being prepared is, is always um, almost a requirement to uh, for every game because you have to uh, you have to remember that it is about the other people, uh, you know, learning about the story, being able to tell parts of the story, and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, um, which actually leads straight into number six, uh, where you're setting the scene uh, for. Uh, for a game so talk about that yeah so this is a very basic skill very basic part of the game the dungeon master sets the scene and then the players decide what they're going to do and um to me i see it quite similar to being a movie director my job is the dungeon master and the players are like the actors and their characters are the actors um and you are definitely a storyteller that you're setting a scene you're telling a story and, um, you know, you can talk about, you know, what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it smells like, all those types of things, what it feels like. And you don't need to talk all the time. Uh, there are some popular dungeon masters now who talk constantly. There are ones who use as many adjectives and adverbs as they can possibly use in every sentence. All of those things are not necessary. It might look good, it might sound good, but it's not necessary. Um, you can actually use very little language and actually convey quite a lot. I know one of the most dramatic scenes I ever DM'd was one where the players were in a dungeon when I first came back to fifth edition, actually, and they knew something was coming towards them in the dungeon and they knew it was heavy and it was slithering across the stone floor, and it was making the walls shake. <laughs> and I, I described very little, but everybody was paying attention. Everybody was invested. And um, yeah, there's, there is a kind of modern take on DMing that you have to be almost like an actor and constantly talking, and it's not true. Um, there are very good storytellers who don't use very much language. There are very good DMs who actually, they don't talk too much, but the players talk a lot. And um, another thing I, I'm reminded of is a teacher once who said to me, I don't understand how your kids pay so much attention to you. When you're telling them a story, you're, you know, every day I would always read my kids a story. And she's like, they're just sitting so quietly and just listening. And um, 
it doesn't have it doesn't have to do with how loud you are, how much you talk. It's you know, it's about the story and being present. That's what it's about. <laughs> well, it, it it's uh, this just popped into my mind. Um because uh, what you just said about it being like a, a performer to to make someone completely uh, riveted in what the audience is is you know enjoying like the players um and this is there's a film that just came out uh late last year called prey and it's the latest uh movie uh in the sort of you know the the aliens predator kind of thing mm-hmm. and the one of the things that i was i was reading about about the production of the film the director uh gave the actors uh three shots to do the scenes that they were in where they were encountering the 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 big creature uh say the dialogue then i want you to do it where you say nothing and then i want you to do it where you just emote with your face as much as you can and he said that most of the shots where they're they were just using their 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 face to not scream, not yell, not say anything, um, was the most powerful shots that he made, and that's what made into the film. And then I went back, watched the movie again with that in mind, and thought, "You're right; these these actors are just completely invested in what's going on. They're they are listening to their DM essentially and being like, okay, there's a monster that's going to come over the hill, and he's going to roar, and he's going to shoot whatever at you.'" Um, just don't say anything just just do just react to it and uh and that's totally what players need to do for for dming stuff i mean or for when they're encountering uh creatures and the dm is maybe giving them five words mm-hmm. and and that can still be uh really important because you're right you don't need to say do, the walls are rattling you kind of hear a noise it sounds like something being dragged across the floor you're not sure what's coming and that's all you need to say and then suddenly they freak out because you know uh, I'm trying to think what would actually that what creature would that be a basilisk what you know slithers out of a hole um, that's what it was very good so exactly I mean that's yeah. totally what my brain instantly went to is like oh yeah. like, wait a second um, but that again goes in again into the next rule uh, which is uh, about being flexible because uh, you just have to be if little things like that come into play yeah well, I should just quickly mention too about um, setting the scene too. That the one thing a lot of people forget is that the players have their own imaginations. So it's not a one-way street. So you're going to describe something, and then the person is picking up on stuff and already adding things to their experience. So I think a lot of I think one reason DMs talk so much some is that they're trying to fill up all the space and they're trying to create this perfect picture. But you don't need to do that because the other person is part of it as well. <laughs> well, especially when you read the little bits of text and some of the you know the long-standing uh, modules that are out there, those are short for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know that there's probably going to be uh, one of two things in the room you're walking into: nothing, or a large spider about to eat your face. So. If the description is, you walk into the room, uh, there's busted furniture, kind of smells a bit musty, you know, not much has been going on in here for a long time, then, you know, that kind of sets the scene. The character could be like, I'm going to skip this room. It looks kind of boring. Or they might go, you know, there could be something hiding, you know, something really valuable Mm -hmm. in that 
chest or that broken table or something. And uh, it's up to them to kind of go, I'm going to look up first. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> if they exactly. don't, they could be in trouble. Yeah. 100%. All right. So number seven, be flexible. So in there are, you know, in general, there's this idea of railroad um, dungeon masters or sandbox. So railroad is that you have a really specific story and you want to keep everybody on this track and you don't want the party to stray too much. And that's, that's fine. That's a certain kind of game. More and more, I would say people play sandbox adventures where it's up to the players. They choose where to go and more and more. That's my experience. And, and I love those. Um, so because of that, you have to be prepared and flexible that you're going to change your plan and be prepared with extra encounters. So I'll give you one example right now in Shane's campaign, the one we're going to do next. The party's in a dungeon in some caves in the wilderness. And we know after that, that they have some options. They have some treasure stashed on an island near Saltmarsh. This is all in the world of Greyhawk. And they could go back to that. They could go, and one of the players has a ship on the wild coast in Safeton, Safeton, and she needs to get a hold of that. And they're thinking about using that as their headquarters. Those are probably the two directions the party will go in next. However, there's another thing to consider. One of the players has the teleport spell. <laughs> oh. So as a dungeon master, I have to be prepared that they could teleport back to Safeton where the ship is, or they could teleport to Salt Marsh to gather their gear. I also have to be prepared that they could walk or take their horses to Salt Marsh or to Safeton. So what I have prepared are road encounters for those two different trips. And then I have encounters prepared and stories prepared, one for Salt Marsh and one for Safeton. So no matter what choice they have, Safeton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what choice they make, those are the ones that are most likely um, I have those things prepared. And if they choose something else, I have some other options as well. And you might move, you might just, it might be just the uh, a matter of moving something. So for example, say a party is going to, they have an option to go to a dungeon or search this ship nearby in port. Maybe they choose to go to the, the ship, but maybe you decide the things that you actually had in the dungeon, even the rooms, you now move to that ship and the monsters and the NPCs. So the basic idea, again, this idea of being a movie director is that that's the way I look at it. Yes, there's the overall plot and characters and story going on. And then there's scenes that happen in that story. And those scenes can be moved around. So a scene that I have in Salt Marsh, some of them would fit fine in Safeton. They're both ports on the same ocean, on the same coast. One is smaller. Salt Marsh is a lot smaller than Safeton. So you can, I would always have extra encounters as well prepared with monsters and NPCs, extra names prepared in case somebody <laughs> asks who the town guard is or who the barmaid is. Um, the last thing I do before every game is write down about a dozen names, about half women, half men. And um, yeah, that's, 
that's one of the main parts about, I think, being a good DM is being able to move things around um, and also having things happen in the world, even when the players aren't there and have things that happen because of the because the players did this, this happened. But might it might take like weeks or months or years until something until the consequences come up. And so you create this world where they realize it's alive and things are happening and things are even happening when they're not there. Well, I mean, it's like the um, the ability to transpose an adventure from, oh, they're not going to go to the X location. They're going to go to the Y location. I'll just move some of those characters over. What's going to be different about this? Oh, well, it's a, it's a busy port. So, you know, there's going to be commerce going on. There's going to be people having careers. There's going to be people that are down on their luck. There's going to be people uh, who are ill, who might need assistance or, uh, you know, have some advice or some sort of information they want to impart before they shuffle off, you know, and um, there's all those kinds of things that, that uh, can work anywhere, but having the flexibility, like that to me, I mean, that kind of blows my mind about the idea that, you know, say you prepped the dungeon crawl that you, you the way that players are going you thought that's where they would go but then they decide to go oh let's get a ship and get back to blah 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 and uh, oh okay well all right so instead of that attacking you that's going to be over here and and uh yeah, so those are yeah those are really important things to that's a skill that takes time to develop i mean that is not something that i think early dms would probably have too much experience with yeah um, yeah you have to be you have to consider how can the party move so that one player, because they have a, that one character has a teleport spell. So that means that I have to build encounters in Salt Marsh and, and Safeton that could last the whole session. So I have to have that ready in case they choose to do that. At the beginning, it's easier because the characters can't even afford to buy a horse. Yeah. So in the beginning, you, you just have to basically map out how far could they walk. You know, and then it gets more complicated once they have horses, once they have maybe a ship, once they have teleport spell. And there's a reason those should come later in the campaign, not near the beginning. It's actually kind of like uh, a good example as well would be the harrowing of, of the Shire, uh, which was left out of the films. But the uh, in the book, a bunch of stuff went on that the the, the characters of the book did not know about. Until they decided, okay, we've solved the adventure. The bad yeah. man is dead. We're going to now go home. All right. Then they get home and it's like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, yeah the stuff is going on. That that world is still existing. And and uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's a really good example of that. Um, number eight. I like this one. This is actually my favorite of the whole bunch. Yeah, be yourself. I think this gets overlooked a lot because people are thinking they have to play the role of a dungeon master and they have to be this sort of actor type and they have to talk all the time. Um, that's all. None of that is true. You can do that, sure. But um, if you don't want to do the voice of every NPC in, in character, that's fine. Um, if you don't want to fully take on the role of these monsters and growl and hiss and roar and all those things, that's fine. You there, you can be an introverted dungeon master. You can be an extroverted one. That's fine. Um, are you interested in mysteries as a person? Then you should put some mysteries into your story. Are you interested in history? 
maybe add a lot more history to your to your world. Um, there are so many different kinds of storytellers and people. There's tons of different kinds of dungeon masters. And um, you can, of course, go out of your comfort zone and try something new. Um, and you can also, you know, I think especially at the beginning, you can lean on those things that you love and things that you know really well. One of my favorite things is um, when doing a DM, so I have a dog who's crawling at my leg, um, is to have those. This is a creature. This is a, a random encounter that I've just had to experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, is basically when you are at the very beginning, when characters are, are, you know, experienced players will know the tropes that, you know, DMs generally will go to for a lot of game starts. And one of the things that I've tried to do over the years is I've tried to actually have very unique ones where um, I don't give them... Uh, one, my favorite one was not giving them a chance to get settled in as a, as a character mm -hmm. and, and having an action beat that actually something happens that forces them to run, forces them to make a choice of some mm -hmm. sort that's going to have an impact, um, things like that, so that they're not necessarily going to be going to the, to the pub and hanging out with a meeting up or, or going to the village to talk to the village elder, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I like having some, not every single time, but, but every so often, you know, you just kind of want to have an action beat that just forces the action into, and you lay out, here are three directions you can go in. One looks like a scary forest. One looks like a boat. One looks like a, a, a path in a, in a different direction. And they can choose very, very quickly is kind of the goal. Then they can kind of, because you prepare sort of those things all over the place and and that's just but that is really kind of the the type of, of person i am i'm like i i want to have a unique experience i don't want the game to be boring i don't want you know the, i want to give the players breathing space i want but i want to start them off where they have to like start moving and uh and i've had good responses from it so you know it's been it's been a good thing for for my from my experience but um but that's just the kind of person i am that's kind of the you know the type of dm i can be um but again you know uh, i've played a lot of mystery stuff as well where i've had like the dm has been excited about uh sort of the noir kind of feel and it, how can you work that into a dm or how can you work that into a DD &D game and 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 generally speaking most things work if not everything um you know for that kind of style that kind of sort of way that they like to tell the story and uh and you know i just like that i i like having fun and i like being me so you know who who doesn't really when you think about it yeah exactly i think there are lots of different ways like you say if you really if you're really into action and a really good way to start an adventure or an episode session is 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 to do that is to go right into the action or even starting a campaign like with a jailbreak we we talked about before about we had yeah. campaign starts in one of our earlier shows. And that's a really good campaign starters. You're all in the jail together and we all, you all get freed all of a sudden. And then even before that you have time to meet, you're you're rushing around and trying to deal with the situation. That's a good one. Um, yeah, so I think, again, you know, really focus on stuff that you really know you really like, especially when you're starting out. And, um, you know, and... I always survey the players every six months to a year to see what kind of things they want in campaigns. And so, and then I sometimes 
you know, I add parts of that. Um, you know, for a while, our party really, the one group really wanted to go to the Underdark again. And we did that for quite a while. And then they decided that it was way too dangerous. And they were going to head back up to the surface world. Thank you. We're very level much. three. Let's get down there. No, let's leave. <laughs> no, you were you were pretty high level, but they decided, you know, the drow city is not something to deal with. So let's go home. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I check in. I think when you're newer to it's a good idea to check in um, with the group and the players to see how things are going. Um, and like we said, there's lots of different styles you know, of how to do this. There's no role of a storyteller. There's no one way to do it. And, um, and number one, I think, is listening. The players will tell you how you're doing. Um, you know, it's, I think it's the most important thing. I can hear if somebody's paying attention. I can hear if uh, they're really loving the combat or if it's going on too long. I can can hear it if they're excited about finding a certain kind of magic item or um i know one player who was just really excited about different kinds of environments and different kinds of basically like i call them scenes you know they just loved having different types of um terrain to deal with you know whether it was you know fighting on rooftops or you know on the edge of a volcano or um you know in a in a sea cave like and i like to change that up a lot i like to have lots of different kinds of environments um yeah i mean i was just going to say that um the way that you kind of expressed that in in the different environments solution was um one of the adventures we had uh, there was like a, a melding of two different modules that came together and the, it started in one uh, place and then uh, we ended up, I think, I want to say the Underdark. I don't think it was the Underdark, but it was somewhere else where uh, I think it was uh, the Mad Mage where you're able to kind of go to different levels and each level is kind of different and it's a different environment. So we started, basically all I'm saying is we started in one place. Mm -hmm. You asked about how we were feeling about the thing. And then you adjusted it later on um, and suddenly we were in a place where we could choose to stay somewhere and play within that environment or we could go, ah, this one sucks. Let's go to the next one. Oh, the next one's great. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of flexibility in that and uh, being able to kind of um, utilize an established book that's out there, but modify it so that the inspiration more came from that book rather than actually what the content was. And I thought that was really cool because I think one of those adventures, we actually had the party split up a little bit and one was on one level and was on another. And then you kind of merged. Mm -hmm. I forgot exactly what happened, but you, you eventually sort of directed us back to get back together, but we were able to experience different things, which I thought was really good that actually added things to the story. And, uh, I think I think both parties. There was like there was only like three people and two people or something, and right. and then they found objects that we needed. But you know we could have all been in a single party, and you could have said, okay, well you find this thing and you find the next thing. But no, we chose to torture you and split up a little bit, and we found one thing in one place and one thing in another. So, I mean that basically 
I'm just trying to illustrate the fact that you listened to the players. You were flexible in that in that way, and you were able to kind of go, okay, well, hey, guys, sure, you could totally do that. You might die, but sure, okay. Yeah. And then, you know, but we eventually directed us back to, uh, you know, coming back together, which in a, in a very sort of organic way. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, uh, suddenly a wall explodes and you see somebody in the next hallway yeah. next to you and you didn't realize they were there. But it was yeah. it was a very organic experience. It was, it was a while ago, but I still remember it in the back of my mind of like how you how you as the DM survived the player choices yeah. for that kind of adventure. So, Yeah, that's but, the main Greyhawk campaign we mentioned earlier. So my idea was to start it with the U1 to 3 series, which is all around Salt Marsh. And we did that. And then I added in a story about basically cultists, which drew you through the Wild Coast um, up to the right. Wild Coast, and then over to the Temple of Elemental Evil, which includes the T1 Village of Homlet adventure. And I, I changed all this to suit our story. And then around that time, I'd ask the players, because we'd been doing this story for a long time, about what other things would they like. And everybody said the Underdark, pretty much. So I knew we were you're going into the temple. And then my idea was that the temple part of it, once you got to a low level, would lower into the underdark itself, and so that's what happened. And then you had the then you had this big adventure down there, which included some of the D one to D to um, D one to, to D three modules, um, and and then I basically reversed how the modules worked in the in the eighties. In the eighties, you go through the giant series G one to three. And then you go down into the Underdark, but I did it backwards so that you then escape the Underdark because you were done. You were like, yeah, that was fun. Now we're going to, we want to do something different. We want to go back. And then I had you come up into the fire giant lair, spoiler alert right now <laughs> for these G adventures. So la, 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 la. you came back up instead of going down hill giant, frost giant, fire giant and then down into the underdark with the drow i reversed it so you went drow fire giant frost giant hill giant and because you're a high level party instead of making the fire giant the most dangerous i kept increasing the power of the frost giants and hill giants and i added in some drow and the hill giant level and then you're back in on the surface world and um and then now we've added in elements of the S4 adventure, Lost Caverns of Tsojikanth. Say that quickly. Which I will never pronounce properly, I don't think, in my entire life. Mm. <laughs> so now, now we're heading back. Probably we'll head back to the Wild Coast. I'm not sure what the party's going to do for sure. And then I have another plan of how to uh, bring that further along. And that campaign probably has about eight more sessions, not too many, because you're fairly high level. We usually stop at 20th. We have gone past it, but we found the math gets a little clunky after that. Yeah. At that point, characters need to think about retirement. I've already collected 80 million gold pieces that I'll <laughs> never spend in my life. Yeah. So uh, I, I have a farm and sheep. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, your kids can go on adventures. You know, that's actually kind of a cool story idea. I kind of like that about your next characters are going to be the offspring of the characters you played in the last session. And it'll be 
15, 20 years later. Mm-hmm. I like that. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, and after it, itself, it'll be like 100 years later. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry, you guys don't mature that quickly. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I think of all these sorts of, uh, of points that we've been talking about today, the, the one that we keep coming back to is the listening part. And I, and I think that's, you can't overstate that in uh, the, the, the gaming world in general, in terms of tabletop gaming, but especially for D and D, like there are things that uh, DMs really need to be able to do uh, to make it interesting for their players. And there are, definitely some lessons in there as well that the players could pick up on as well for being able to learn those kinds of skills as a player because it's not only dms that need to know these kinds of things there's the players Mm -hmm. also need to be flexible they need to be able to listen to what the other players are doing because that's and i and i've said this a million times uh but that's where the magic really happens because if you're allowing those opportunities to to be presented to you in an organic way Someday there's going to be a player that you've been sitting across from for two years that'll say, hey, we should do blah. And your character or the one you're playing at that moment will be like, that is the coolest idea I've ever heard. Let's totally do that. Because if we don't, it our lives will be less because of it. So we, we need to do it now. And uh, yeah, and the DMs are the same way. You know, like they, that is the coolest idea ever. Let's totally work that into the story somehow. Maybe not today, but definitely that is going to be discussed at a future time. And uh, yeah, because at the end of the day, what I'm trying to get through everyone's mind is that it's just a game. So don't forget that it's just a game because at the, you know, we all have jobs, we all have careers, we have all these things we're having to deal with. This should not be one of them. Even if you have turned it into a career, sir, you're still having fun doing it. Because if it just becomes your day job, then you're going to have to find a new hobby. Do you like crochet or, or, or leather work or anything like that? <laughs> I, was, I was just talking about that with my, uh, my sibling the other day about what kinds of careers or hobbies should you have in the future when you decide that your current career is just awful. Mm-hmm. But D&D will never be bad. It'll always be good. As long as we continue to fight for the rights for the players. <laughs> Open D&D. Exactly. Um, well, that's basically all we have to say today. Um, but uh, definitely come back next week uh, where we will be talking about some other cool stuff. Uh, because the things that, that you're going to learn next week I need to learn before we get there because it is something that a lot of the stuff we talked about today will play into that. So yeah, be flexible. It's just a game. Have uh, have a good time. Any final words? You just reminded me of one thing I heard once, which was um, don't wait on an idea. Like if you have a really cool idea for an adventure, don't, don't go all oh, that. I'll use that in six months or I'm going to use that at some point. Like use it right away because you know what? Another idea is going to come along. So yeah, it just reminded me when you were talking. Yeah, that, I think that's something to remember. When you have an inspiration like that, just put it in the next session you're going to do. Give your give your DM self an inspiration point 
and use that the next session. That's actually really brilliant. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll see you all next week. All the Thanks. stuff's down there in the description. You'll, you'll, and if you don't uh, read it, that's fine. We'll, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.